Welcome to Stageworthy, a podcast about Canadian theatre and the people who make it. Hosted by me, Phil Rickaby. This is episode 306 and my guest is performer and storyteller, Jackie DeToy. I've been thinking a lot about being in a theatre with an audience. And I've been thinking about that ever since that video I told you about a few weeks ago that I saw where it was the first performance of Hades Town coming back after the Broadway closer. And I've been thinking about it with every video of a packed house applauding the return of a show. And I've seen a lot of those. And what I've been thinking about is that I don't know if I'm ready to be back in an audience sitting in close proximity to other audience members. When I think about that, I find myself feeling anxious. Because as much as I want to be back in the theater, I'm going to need some time. I'm going to need a period of adjustment before I'm comfortable with that. We've spent 19 months avoiding proximity with other people. And that's become my default. So I'm not ready to go shoulder to shoulder with other audience members just yet. The thought of that makes my palms sweat. Fortunately, what I've been seeing here in Canada is that most theaters aren't planning to pack in the audience like they are in the States. At least not right away. And I think that's good. Ease the audience back into being in the room before packing them in. God, I know I'm going to need something like that. You know, one of the things that I've enjoyed about doing this podcast is being able to meet artists that I didn't know before, whose work was new to me. And that's the case with Jackie DeToy. Jackie is a storyteller and performer and a nominee for the Pre-Rideau Award and the co-creator of the Origin Arts and Community Center and the creator of 8th Generation Performance. Here's our conversation. If you could, for me, describe your artistic practice. Like if, if somebody was, if you were, had to give somebody an elevator pitch of you as an artist, how would you describe yourself? I am a multidisciplinary theater arts creatrix. And if somebody in, on that elevator was like, and what does that mean? How would you answer? I act, I dance, I write, I direct, I produce, and I think outside the box. I paint, Mm. I Mm. am an all-round living artist and a continuous creator. So that's why the creatrix is just outside the box of the matrix, I suppose, and continuously (laughs) as, and also as a woman, creatrix. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I've always had my hands continuously blessed to be able to be working um, in the art fields. And I am super blessed with all the gifts that I've been given. And I just pers- keep keep working on and pursuing it. You know, it, it just never ends. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So that's why I'm, a, I guess, a multidisciplinary theater, theater and arts Creatrix. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think, I mean, tell me if you if you agree with this statement, because I sort of feel like once you start, because creativity is a muscle. So once you start working that muscle, 
Mm. It opens up other avenues. And if you, if you keep working, if you're, if you, if you're creative in one area and you start painting or sculpting, it's a different mu- like physical muscle, but it still seems to open up more of that creative muscle. Totally. Totally. And it's also about, it, it's the same as learning a language, right? You, you, mm-hmm. you use that muscle, you learn one language and then it becomes easier to learn another language and another language. And next thing you know, you're mm. capable of understanding and learning up to seven, eight, 10 languages. You find that all over when you travel. <laughs> I've been lucky to be able to travel mm. with many artists and um, it, it's basically the same thing. So yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was a speaker of four languages. Um, my brother uh, is constantly picking up languages. It's like mm-hmm. every time I turn around, he has a new one. The only ones he hasn't been able to master. He's like, I tried Mandarin. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, he's very gifted with languages. I did not uh, capture that gift. Uh, it takes me a lot more to to pick up languages. No, it's tricky. And um, it's interesting that you are asking about how would, what, what label would you give yourself if, you know, and... Like, how would you describe your work? And that's been something that I was sitting with this past weekend because I was talking to a friend of mine mm. and, being, and you know, she was saying, you just do so many things and you're so good at all these things. And I was like, I know. And it's, I'm, I'm, <laughs> and I'm grateful, but it's hard to, what label do I give myself? What box can I put myself in so that the normal people can understand? <laughs> you know? That- that is the problem is those boxes become not necessarily useful for us, no, but they're useful for other people to under sort of understand us. Yes. Yes. And so, um, so I'm still working on the label on the box for the other people <laughs> to understand, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, it, it's a working title. Yeah. I, I find there's more and more people who are, are willing to put um, more hyphens in their descriptions. Yeah. Um, many, many years ago when I was in theater school, they told us, uh, just say that you're an actor. If you can do something else, don't tell anybody. Um, I got if you're, that. you know, if you're a fight director, don't do that. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you can stage manage, oh my God, don't tell anybody that. If you can dance, maybe that might help, but mostly just say that you're an actor. And now, Nobody does that anymore because everybody is so many things. We all hyphenate our titles and our descriptors. Um, and I think that that's actually more accurate for who we are mm-hmm. as artists. Yeah. I, no, I totally hear you on that because I was, I was told the same thing. And, mm. um, you know, for a long time I was like, no, I'm just an actor. I'm just, just an actor. Mm. And so many of my friends would be like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not just an actor. <laughs> and, you know, um, maybe that's the box, the hyphen. We are the hyphens. <laughs> we do it all. Is it Was it difficult for you to um, get to the point where you were starting to add your hyphens and becoming more than becoming, quote unquote, more than just an actor? Yes. And that's, and it still is because when I teach at, you know, various schools and I get hired by, by contract, I actually teach at this one uh, magic school and by magic it's for um, 
Like they do, you know, like the the moon rituals and the full moon rituals and stuff. And oh, like, okay, okay. Like that kind of magic school. And um, and I'm a professor and I teach, it's, it's kind of like a Harry Potter vibe. And I teach shape-shifting. And it was interesting because the principal of the school um, tried to introduce me to another professor. And she was like, this is Jackie. And she does. And she looked at me and she's like, you just do it all. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I do. And I'm still working on more. And she's like, wow, does it ever stop? And I'm like, no, it's the flow. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. In terms of adding those hyphens, was there something that precipitated being comfortable with that? What was your journey to uh, being comfortable adding those to your descriptors? At first, I didn't want to because it was just so complicated. I was like, because then people would, I would get a contract for writing a script for a company, a children's play. And then, mm. you know, I'll be introduced as a playwright or I would get introduced as a puppeteer <laughs> or I would get introduced huh. as, as a traditional Zulu dancer or, you know, and it just, yeah, it, it actually didn't get easier. <laughs> it just got more and more complicated. <laughs> and so now I'm just like multidisciplinary theater creatrix. That's what it is. <laughs> I think it, it's interesting. The idea of of it becoming more complicated and, and, you know, maybe we don't want to add those titles, but there's something I think that there's something more confident about being able to say, I'm all these things. It does take a lot of Rather time. than diminishing to just, I'm just these few things, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Does it take confidence? What do you think? I think, you know, I think it does. Cause I have to tell you that for many, many years, um, it took me a long time before my artistic self came before my day job self. Mm. So when people would ask me, you know, oh, what do you do in that way that people do? Um, I would answer, oh, I do tech support. And it took a long time before. And, and, and my girlfriend at the time would like look at me after and we say, you're not, you know, tech support. You're a writer performer. And I would be like, oh, I don't, yeah, I know. But and um, it took a long time for me to be able to confidently say I'm a writer and performer. Um, yeah. And that was that was part of the journey. But it was. Like it was somehow I was uh, uh, insecure in saying that. And it mm. seemed safer to say my Joe job. Mm. Why? Why did you think it was safer? Why did you oh, because normal people, because mm -hmm. muggles, as they say, <laughs> um, there, you know, it was like, I don't know. There was like an insecurity about admitting my creative self to people who may not be totally. creatives. And in some ways you just, you, it feels like you're exposing too much, especially in like the work world or outside of the, um, the arts world. You're too vulnerable saying that. Mm, that's true. Totally. I don't have that problem anymore. I'm good now, but it took, it, it was part of the journey to get there. Yes. So what do you, what do you label yourself now? What's your, what's your title? Uh, I am a writer, performer, nerd, and podcaster. Though I'd like to throw in the nerd thing because that's part of who I am too. Love it. Yay. Good for yeah. you. Yeah. 
So that I don't even mention the Joe job anymore when when I'm describing what I do. So that's that's part of my journey is getting to that point where the artistic self is is more than the Joe job because I'm more than that. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And it will keep getting, you know, and as you as a creator starts, you know, evolving more with the podcasts and with your technology, it will just keep getting better and better. You might have to mm-hmm. just add more to your title. Probably. I mean, and I don't mind doing that now because I, I, I feel confident about all the things that I'm adding. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, and what it, for what, yourself. What is oh, sorry, stuff? go ahead. No, I'm saying like what a journey sorry, that is for many artists, you know. We can talk about yes. that because I think that's something that a lot of artists sit with, you know, that they feel that oh, they sure. have to choose one thing in order to fit yeah. in, to be accepted by what you call the muggles, right? And, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, because if, if I don't say I do the one thing, if I say I do all these things, you know, the, you know, we've, as artists, I don't know about you, but I've experienced, you know, the eyes rolling or just like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, sure. And then move on, you know, or like, uh, you know, immediately the, you can see the shift of, oh, God, a struggling artist. Absolutely. I told you her name. And um, yeah. it's, it's a, it is a process. It is a journey and it is a beautiful healing journey for many creators, creatrixes out there who are still trying to navigate their world of creativity. And um, it's not an easy path, but it is a beautiful one. You know, and if we can keep helping each other and sharing our story, I have a saying with my storytelling, share the love and tell the story because that's how we learn from Mm. each other, you know. Yes. Thank you for sharing your story. Yes. That's one of the reasons why I started this podcast like five years ago was – uh, in addition to the fact that I felt like Canadian voices are not often heard in the media landscape. Most of the people that I've spoken to, they've never done an interview before. Um, a lot of the times we don't, we're not used to being interviewed, things like that. But I also felt like it's an opportunity to ask people the questions and performers the questions that we often don't ask. Um, for example, how did we, how did you find this profession how did you come to do this i love those stories i love the stories about how people came into the theater how they found their artistic self those are the things that i I find super interesting about uh uh, everyone's story yes it is it is because each one is so unique and especially with the theater world it's like did theater find Mm -hmm. you or did you find it you know it's yes Yes. Then, <laughs> it's such a beautiful world. So on the on the topic of mm-hmm. of, of that particular question, um, I will word it to you like this. What is your theater origin story? Ooh, I like it. What is my theater origin story? Could you elaborate? What do you want to know, Phil? <laughs> sure. Sure. I mean how what was your entry into the theater and how did you decide or how did you find that it would become your, your life's work? Mm, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be my life's work. Hmm. Um, I met the stage at the tender age of nine. 
I was a dancer from the age of three. My mother put me in ballet, modern, and tap dancing. And I come from a really small town in South Africa known as Kimberley. And my sister, there was not much to do in the small town, and my sister was doing dance. And obviously, I wanted to do it. And so when I was nine years old, we had our big production on stage. And it was this choreographer from America who came in to work with us. And I was taken. There everything about <laughs> it, the backstage, the snacks in between, the makeup, the girls sitting together, the waiting, the the disappearing into this world, forgetting about everything else mm. that was happening on the outside. And this is all that mattered. Um, that was the, my first taste of it. And then during apartheid, uh, when apartheid ended, we were allowed to go to white schools. And I, mm. when I went to this school, this Model C school, the art teacher that I was doing art with looked at me in the one day and she said, how would you like to play Captain Hook? in the school play. <laughs> and I was like, um, yeah. She's like, we have auditions. I would really like you to come and audition. And I did. And I got the part and I had more lines than Peter Pan. And I remember being so nervous. And that was the, that was the other like little taste. And I was like, okay, like that was fun. <laughs> That's it. You know? And then I decided to go to a boarding school just outside my hometown to pursue my career in mm. painting because I, I want to do fine arts. Mm. And um, during the first three months of my time at this boarding school, I experienced um, extreme bullying and racism and all kinds of um, things. And through it, I somehow had to be punished and it was doing this punishment that I had to do community service. And part of that community service was working with the theater. And the father, Danton, bless his heart, he, he is such a, a great, great heart. And he just, him and his wife were involved in the theater there. And he, they just opened their arms and they're like, it's okay, we understand, you know. And they were just so forgiving. And they were like, don't worry, um, maybe you can express yourself here in the theater and it's safe mm. and I did and I just started winning all these awards <laughs> and I was like oh this is mm. something that I, I I think I'm good at I, uh, that's fun <laughs> but I never ever thought I would turn it into a career because my heart was set on being a fine artist and then mm. when I finished high school like we in South Africa you finished till grade 12 and I got my entrance into university, I looked at the two options and my portfolio, my art portfolio, when they marked it was dropped by one mark, which meant that I couldn't do the fine mm -hmm. arts program. I would have to like go back oh. to school. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, my other option was the theater and, theater and performance program, which is an intensive program. It's not just theater and drama. It's they audition, um, they audition people throughout the whole of South Africa and only take 20 students mm. for the theater and performance mm. program at the University of Cape Town. And I auditioned and then I got in. And I was like, well, I guess this is my path. <laughs> 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 and that's how, that's how, that's the relationship myself and theater have. And it's a beautiful, mm. <laughs> beautiful relationship. <laughs> 
So it sounds like it sounds like theater was very uh, um, intensely important to expressing yourself. It was, and still is. Mm. Yeah, it still is. Once I, I I googled your name. And uh, I always sometimes will do that just as a, as, a, as a quick thing. And one of the first things that that I, that, that I saw was an article that said uh, something along the lines of um, when you arrived in Ottawa, you'd never seen so many white people. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like just like the preview or something along those lines. <laughs> and, I, and so I was like amused by that. Um, <laughs> what? What brought you to Canada from from South Africa, and oh, what made you choose Ottawa? Oh, I didn't choose Ottawa. Ottawa chose me. Oh, <laughs> so okay. It's, it's it's a whole it's a whole long story. But in a nutshell, I was I was doing great with my career in Cape Town, but I felt I needed a break, and. I had a friend who was a choreographer and he said, Hey, there's a circus that's having auditions. Do you want to learn Zulu dancing? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, I don't have any, you know, anything lined up. Like I'm Mm. doing auditions, but nothing's, nothing's coming through yet. So let's, let's see. Yeah. I can, maybe I need to get away from Cape Town for a year. I think that would be good for me. And uh, I joined a circus and through the first, through the six months of training, we learned, working the aerial silks, working acrobats, mm. and learning Zulu dancing. And the circus traveled to Canada, and it was combined with Canadian circ artists as well, so it was this big collaboration, mm. and we arrived in Ottawa, and that was that experience that you had. <laughs> <laughs> when we got here, because like, you have to understand, like South Africa, like, you know, if, you're, if you know my full story, which is my book, it's going to be coming out. Um, you will see that, you know, the stories that we attach to, like growing up during apartheid, what that was like, especially for me as a colored mm. woman, you know, um, it was really interesting, like this this foreign world, like this is only stuff we saw in movies, you know, and even mm. when I went to the States, there was just more people of color there. And so I was really shocked because I was like, I was actually scared. So I was like, there's so many white people, I don't know, are they going to kidnap me? <laughs> my own kind of like like mind I remember walking with my backpack in front of me just like <laughs> so nervous and scared and being like I don't know can I trust these people like is everything okay like I was just I was super it was a new world for me because in South Africa there's just mm. so many different people of different races different cultures mm. languages I mean in South Africa there's 11 official languages plus all the other different languages mm. from different parts of Africa so I think that's what I was used to just like a, this multi-diverse world and coming here it was just it was it was very 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 white and I didn't know <laughs> That was my experience. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I always, I mean, you know, I've, I grew up in, in around the Toronto area where I always feel like it's very diverse city. I mean, it's, I think there are places in the States like New York, I think is more diverse and things like that, yeah. but I'm used to seeing a multicultural world around me. So when I've traveled in, to other places in Canada, like Ottawa and some places at West and on the Maritimes, I'm often shocked and feeling out of place when I see just a, a sea of white. So 
in some ways I understand that discomfort, not quite to the extreme, but like it's to me, it always feels strange when I go to a place and it is a sea of white people and I don't see any color. Yeah, it's like something's not right here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but Ottawa is great. I love Ottawa. Ottawa is now it's my home away from home. It's my other home. Mm. I love it mm-hmm. here. It's got such mm. rich history, such beautiful people. And there's this, even though it's a government down, there's, you know, there's this, if you just scratch the surface just a little bit, you'll find all these incredible artists that live in the city that are mm. just making things, creating things, you know, just, it really is a beautiful place to be in. And it, it's where the three rivers met, you know, it's the where the three rivers meet. And it was the gathering right. space for many indigenous, you know, tribes throughout the time, mm. like where they would come and meet by the falls. And it's just, um, it's a beautiful space. It's interesting because I think the perception is, and I've, I've sort of experienced this, because if you just go to Ottawa, if you're, especially if you're from somewhere else, you feel, especially on like a weekday, you feel like, oh, it's five o'clock. There's nothing to do. Mm. And obviously there's more to it than just everything closing, seeming to close down at five o'clock. It's just that as the average tourist going to a place and just sort of relying on whatever it says, you know, on travelocity or whatever surface thing you're using to discover a place, you're not seeing the full picture. And yeah. you have to, it's almost like you need a guide who's from there to sort of like show you what's under the surface. Yes. My friend's actually working on an app that is that way. It's uh perfect. You connect with someone who's from the city who wants to be a tour guide and you put yourself mm. on this app and you're like, um, yeah, you can connect with me and you get reviews from others. And like, I will meet you here mm. and I can take you here, you know, and all these different places, but also just talk about your experience being in this, being in the city. Did you grow up here? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's so I find for me traveling when I go to other cities like Montreal, Toronto, or, Vancouver and just like in and around Mm -hmm. Canada and also just around the world. I always love knowing that there's somebody there that I know that's going to show me where I can get the best, you know, (laughs) the best hot dog or the best poutine or the best, I don't know, like this is where all the artists hang after after a theater show, you know, it's this little dingy hole in the middle of somewhere and (laughs) awesome, you know, it's got good vibes. So, yeah. Yeah, to me, that that would be like really valuable information as a traveler. Like, where do the artists go after the show? Where do we, where do the theater people go? What what do I not know that's not in I don't know, like uh, uh, Fedor's book of this city? You know, things that only a local could tell you. Say that again. Um, as far as mm. sorry, just just you know, something more than than than. Um, What's on the surface? Like if you pick up like Fedor's book of the city and you did the tour book, you could see all of these things that are tourist based, but they don't tell you what somebody who lives there knows Mm, mm. where all of the interesting things are, the truly interesting things are how to navigate like a local. (laughs) Like a local. I like that. Yes. Yeah. 
I always feel like when I go to a place that what I want is I want to I want to see it. I don't want to like sure I'll do a touristy thing or two, but I want to walk the neighborhoods. I yeah. want to to eat at local restaurants. I want to do I want to be in the city, not just what the tourism board thinks I should see. Totally, yeah. I'm I'm the same. The same. Yeah. Now you mentioned a, a a book. Tell me about tell me about your book and when can we expect to see it. No, that's I'm not gonna talk more about that. That's all you're gonna know because it's it is oh, okay, a, okay, okay. The okay. thing is the book is like you you're just giving oh, just, just a little book. taste, just a little taste. I understand. <laughs> no, and the book is just my journey and um mm. I think it you know, as it's as I'm busy working on it, there's just so many parts of me that is unfolding. You know, I have mm. Like I, I can talk to you now about theater and how I ended up in Ottawa with theater, but it's more than just that, you know, or how I came to Ottawa with theater. Sure. With it's, it's so layered. It's so much deeper than that. Or, you know, my experience in Cape Town or growing up in South Africa and what it was like to be, you know, being this colored woman and being an artist. Mm. It, you know, it really is such a layered <laughs> journey. And the book is is also late, but also like, you know, with books, it's like you have to still like scratch and pull things out and be like, nope, can't take that. Yeah. Got to put that in. So it is a process and I'm loving it. I'm working with a great team of mm-hmm. people and um, hopefully, hopefully the book, the book will be out by next year, the end of next year. But it's a work. Oh, that's awesome. That's process. awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now you are uh, one of the things that you do is storytelling. Mm-hmm. And um you you tell stories you tell stories uh, that that are from just from South Africa and from from you know from Africa um, when you're and is you're mostly doing that in schools is that is that the primary focus of of the storytelling or do you do it like everywhere I do it everywhere um, I work mm. with so many different groups all around with the elderly um, with healing lessons I've created a program with healing workshops around storytelling. And um, as well as working with schools and working with youth. So, mm. um, and again, like there's so many different layers. Like there's the performance aspect of it, which I think, you know, I've done festivals and I've toured and, you know, it's, it's a great big performance. But when I do my workshops, it's a little bit more detailed and there's a lot more, um, it's more of a healing journey than, um than just like, oh, a storytelling workshop. And there's also like the storytelling mm-hmm. workshop where you do have perform, where I, I made it specifically for artists, for performers who would like to tap mm. deeper into the art of storytelling and how, and giving and sharing different tools on how to, you know, take the comedy to the next level or, you know, even if it's giving speeches or mm. um, sharing stories with, or, you know, even with in acting. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I do it. Is there something about storytelling that a lot of uh, theater uh, practitioners, story uh, actors um, mistake about, about storytelling? Is there something that they have a misconception about it in general? I think there's always been that debate between storyteller and actor, theater, actor. Mm. <laughs> and there's a really thin line between the two. And it's mm. more of a knowing and you can't really describe it mm-hmm. because I've been, I've been walking this tightrope with, I've had 
storytellers come to me and being like, you're not telling a story, you're acting the story. And I've had actors you know, in the theater wall being like, you're not acting, you're telling a story. <laughs> it's like, ah. But there is a fine line. I think being trained as an actor, I think, you know, the training that I received um, was so incredibly amazing and beautiful. And that difference mm. between the two worlds, there are two worlds of storyteller and actor, but you as a performer mm-hmm. can feel and know the difference. I think with storyteller, there is, you know, the fourth wall is gone. It's more intimate. Mm-hmm. It's more connected. It's more uh, participant. And you can have elements of storytelling in acting. I've seen, you know, I've played many roles where the fourth wall goes up and, you know, I'm mm-hmm. in that world. And then the fourth wall goes down and I'm interacting with the audience, you know, like that, that happens. Right. And I think, um, you as an actor can definitely use that elements of storytelling because that's that's where acting started. You know, we didn't have a stage mm, back yeah. in the day. You know, you speak to any <laughs> any any indigenous group anywhere around the world, and theater, even like in Europe, theater started around the mm. fire. I didn't there was mm-hmm, no stage, mm-hmm. you know, and. Um, storytelling is the organic form of theater it's it's the Mm -hmm. mother it's mothership it's the so connecting with storytelling is such a an important part as for me i believe as an actor and as a performer Mm. yeah i think that that the idea of of that fine line between uh, acting and storytelling you really see that in um like the the art of being a solo performer and performing a solo play somebody like uh Daniel McIver for example when he performs one of his solo plays because he's addressing the audience and he's speaking directly to the audience and it's usually so simple there's not really a set there's just him it skirts that line so beautifully that it's both a theatrical experience and a storytelling experience, which often makes me think that like that line is like you're describing so thin that it might not even in some cases exist. Yes. Yes. But it's not just solo Phil. Like I've seen mm-hmm. and I've performed in storytelling pieces where it's not just one person telling mm. a story and, and acting mm. at the same time, you know, have you ever found my favorite favorite, favorite things when I go back home is listening to stories is sitting at the kitchen table, you know, right. and all the, all our friends will come over for the weekend. Like, you know, and our door is always mm. open and all the friends will come in like they used to, and they will sit there and we'll start having drinks and chit chats. And it's the one story is layered over the other story. And we, we have storytelling <laughs> around us all the time. And it's like, no, 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 that's not yeah. how the story goes. This is how the story goes. Da, 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 da. And, then, <laughs> yeah, and then that happened, you know, and it's just this beautiful symphony and rhythm mm. of, of laughter and joy and sadness. And it's just, um, yeah, I I, I, th- I don't think it's just a solo thing, but it can have soloness as well as sure. I th- <laughs> I do think that I agree, and I think that there's something about like a really good storyteller will draw you in like the finest actor. Okay, and you'll be on the edge of your seat. You're like taken along on a journey, and um, when you add a group of people doing that, that must be pretty incredible. 
Yes, yes. And it, yeah. and so much fun because I think when you try to capture yeah. that uh, essence on stage, like when I did Drowning Girls, for example, at the GCTC, uh, that was mm-hmm. so much fun because it was based on a true story and these three women coming back from the dead and sharing their stories about how this man mm. killed them and murdered them. And the way the script was written was so well done. It was like, you know, we had to be very quick on our feet all the time, finishing each other's sentences. Mm. But that's the organic form of storytelling, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. and, um, but yet it was also told in a beautiful theatrical way. And so there was also that question, is it a story? Is it, is it theater? And it's both, you know, and it was taken too, because when, when they wrote the play, it was, um, it was first done as like a, a really short storytelling piece and then built up mm-hmm. over time to take it to theater with a full set, with full lighting, with, with the whole, you know, essence of theater, I suppose. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, as a storyteller and as so many of the other things you do, you mentioned um, being a mentor. Um, yes. How long have you been mentoring other artists for? Oh, for about five years now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when did, okay, interestingly, like, because I think that sometimes people, some people might feel like I, I don't feel like I am in a position to be a mentor. How, how did you fall, come into mentoring other artists? And, and, and did you, at the time when it, it was first suggested, did you feel like you were ready to mentor? No, I didn't feel I was ready at all. <laughs> I was like, what? How, what am I going to do? How am I going to say? And then, <laughs> It will just come, you know, it just mm. unfolds and you realize, oh my gosh, these are all the teachings they've done. And you're someone who's willing mm. to learn and understand your your way of creating and expressing and they enjoy your style. And then all of a sudden you're like, what? I have a style? I have a, a Jackie style? <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, um, and then you just start getting more confidence over time. I, I always mm. treat my mentors as it's they are my teachers as much as what I am their teacher. Um, all my mentees mm. have taught me such great things about myself, about my practice, and, mm. you know, vice versa, and helping them to develop their practice deeper and stronger and more powerful. So it is a win-win situation. So, I, yeah. It sounds like somebody came to you with the idea of being a mentor, or did somebody approach you to be their mentor? Yes. Yes. And I get it all the time. Like I get emails from people all the time being like, you know, please, can you be my manager? Can you please, can you work with me? And if the timing is right and if I have timing, absolutely. You know, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm always open to, to teaching. I love teaching. Yeah. And and being, I think that's also the other thing. You know, I always found Mm -hmm. like with teaching, um, I, w- I love working with the young, with the youth as well as younger kids, like creating mm. theater for the young kids and also like the storytelling. So for me, I'm always humbled because I'm like you, without you knowing, you've taught me, you know what I mean? And like that exchange, <laughs> I don't believe in, I think mm. the old form of schooling where it was, you know, of course, the teacher knows more. I've been here longer and I've sure. more experienced, totally. But there's something that you teaching me as well. And, and am I open to receiving that gift? 
and not meaning. Well, I think I mean there's there's the idea of like they have a different um, uh, their their experiences are different than yours, so yeah. they may have things that they can pass on to you just by virtue of the fact that they're not you. Yes. Yes. Um. Yeah. As as sort of we sort of start to think about drawing to a close here. One of the things that I've been asking uh, pretty much everybody since um, March of 2020 is a question about joy. Cause we've all had our moments of, of anxiety, of despair, of, of stuck doom scrolling on our phone or whatever it might be. Um, and we need a little reminder sometimes about the things we can be joyful for. And I love asking people about what's been giving them joy. So Jackie, what's been giving you joy? The art of continuously creating. <laughs> I don't know no. how else to say it. It's been my theme. No. I what brings me joy is also the smile, seeing smiles. Um during this time, you know, with masks and things. A lot of people's faces were very down and just to get laughter yeah. and mm. to share laughter with someone um, brings me joy. Seeing my daughter, she's inspiration. She mm. brings me joy. And the joy of, again, I, you know, what I said in the beginning, the gift of being able to continuously create and being open to creating. Yeah. That's, that's mm. really pulled me and helped me out in so many ways that, um, I mm. wish I wish that's something I could share with so many people. Yeah, yeah. that's beautiful. And you, thank you, thank you. What so much what for brings you? Can, oh, can for you me, me? What's, yeah. what's been giving me joy? Yeah, I have to say that, um, and I've said this before, but I will say it again. Um, for me, um, it at the end of 2019, I met uh, my my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And so we had maybe four months of dating and doing things. And then the pandemic hit and we became our bubble. Mm. And we were sort of like thrust into this wonderful intimacy where uh, it was just us. And um, we were, you know, like we're going from like just sitting quietly on the couch, reading to watching things. And like, instead of like, um, going off and doing activities, we only had quiet company. And mm-hmm. I felt like that gave us this beautiful intimacy that uh, has really sort of solidified the relationship. I think that it would have taken us a lot longer to find if we were still, you know, doing activities and going out and doing all these things. But we had this beautiful moment of of just the two of us. Mm. that will carry us through as we uh, relearn how to go out on dates and things. That is so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Jackie, this has been a beautiful conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me, Phil. Thanks for listening to this episode of Stageworthy. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the podcast. You can do that by making a donation to the virtual tip jar. You'll find a link to that in the show notes, which you can find on the website or on your podcast app. 
or you can buy some merch such as t-shirts, mugs, stickers, and more at the online store, shop.stageworthyproductions.com. All your purchases and tip jar donations go towards Stageworthy and help me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. And if you can't donate or buy from this store, please consider rating and reviewing the show. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review right in the podcast app. And if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, you can still review the show by going to podchaser.com, searching for Stageworthy, and rating the podcast there. Thanks for listening, and thank you for your support. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all past episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy.